This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuning in to the new TNN. Children of all ages, welcome to the debut episode of Ringman here on the new TNN podcast feed. And you know, if children of all ages are actually listening, what the fuck is wrong with your parents letting you listen to this film? My name is Johnny C, and of course, as always, welcome back to the new TNN podcast feed. Now, if you're coming at this surprised, then shame on you. You didn't listen to the State of the Union. Come on, man. It's the State of the Union. It's important stuff I got to tell you. Come on. Very important information coming at you in the State of the Union. Should have listened. Probably the biggest State of the Union there's ever been. Well, Ringman, the show here on the new TNN podcast feed making its debut. It's the show that's guaranteed to cover professional wrestling. Because here on the new TNN, we cover all facets of popular culture. Pro wrestling. Movies. And, you know, other stuff, too. Is there re- but is there really anything else you'd rather hear about? But, uh, so, it's kind of a fantastic moment of brand synergy here. Ringman is basically replacing Brightman. Brightman was the show where I talked about whatever I wanted to. And it was always pro wrestling, and it was just an excuse to cover pro wrestling from across any era. You know, maybe I wanted to talk about the Attitude Era, or WCW, or the cartoonish rock and wrestling era. It allowed me to do that. Well, Ringman allows us to do the same thing. But if you remember, if you're a loyal new TNN podcast feed listener, all the way back when we were known as <clears throat> the Aqua Cave lawsuits pending, <laughs> sorry, Warner Brothers, um... The very, very first episode of Bright Man covered the 1990 Intercontinental Championship Tournament, breaking out or busting out of the pages of the Ultimate Challenge at WrestleMania 6 when the Ultimate Warrior was forced to relinquish the Intercontinental Championship from WWF President James Tunney. See, people don't know my name is James, but I just go by Jack. That's not very funny. I don't know why I said it. But what we're doing here is we're launching Ringman. With a, with a huge dose of brand synergy because we're going to cover the 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament from Monday Night Raw. So this tournament probably, I don't know, I was going to say probably not as well known. I'll say, I'll say it this way. The WrestleMania VI Intercontinental Championship Tournament Ultimate Warrior thing is probably very well known because it stemmed from the Ultimate Challenge. I don't know if you're going to have the competitors right away, but you'll probably be able to name a, hand, a handful. A lot of people probably remember who won this tournament. I know I did. But the actual tournament itself, total, massive, huge blind spot. Now, having watched the tournament, it makes complete sense as to why it's a massive blind spot. But I thought it might be fun to cover. Also... A little bit of cheap plugs. The latest episode of Kingfish, Kingfish episode 11, 
is the episode of Sunday Night Heat that happens literally the day before this episode of Monday Night Raw. So if you'd like to get caught up on storylines or things like that, I recommend checking it out. You know, I'm going to reference as much relevant information as possible, but you all know how these Attitude Era shows are. Um, It's certainly a bit more coherent than Vince Russo WCW, so don't worry about that. But, you know, if there's a little thing that tickles your fancy, I might talk about it there. Void for prohibited in Utah. No guarantees are eligible. So, it's October 12th, 1998, and we're in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, the home, or one of the homes, of WrestleMania II, and it's a one-night tournament, and it's all throughout this entire episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, we learned on Kingfish that Mr. McMahon has recently been on a warpath. The war between Stone Cold and Mr. McMahon is really heating up and hitting its zenith. Uh, The WWF Championship is vacant. Uh, we're one week away from Judgment Day, where Stone Cold will have to referee a match between The Undertaker and Kane. It's one of the worst matches I've ever seen, but that's neither here nor there. But this warpath has caused Mr. McMahon to strip as of Friday. So Friday, I don't know if they announced it on .com or what, Mr. McMahon stripped Triple H of the Intercontinental Championship. In reality, Triple H very injured. Very, very injured and and just can't work. All right. He's rehabbing that knee, I think it is. So we need an excuse to get the belt off of him. And this works perfectly. I got no problems with it. No problems at all. Now, we're not going to cover the entire episode of Monday Night Raw again because it's the Attitude Era and this episode would be like 46 hours long because you know me. I'd want to talk about every little fan sign or verbal tick that JR makes or every little joke or sly innuendo. And that's, you know, we're here to talk about the tournament. The integrity of the Intercontinental Championship is at stake. And we got to find out who's going to walk into Judgment Day holding the tiny gold belt. I hate this Intercontinental Championship belt, by the way. The tiny one? It's lame. I miss the old... Well, actually, it's the one we have now, so I guess I can't call it the old Intercontinental title, but this little tidy icy title blows, in my opinion. But JR and the King are on the call the entire night, and one of the storylines that surround this tournament is just this. JR and the King have no idea who's in the Intercontinental Championship tournament. They learn when we do, because the tournament bracket is not announced ahead of time. It's revealed to us throughout this episode of Raw. Now, I'm of two minds about this particular plot point. On one side, I'm like, why? Why not just give me the bracket? I like brackets. I like tournaments, okay? Like, show me what you got. On the other hand, I absolutely realize, though, that we're trying to deal in the element of surprise. Number one, the brackets, eh. But most importantly, you're trying to always make sure that you've got the one-up on WCW. So you dare not turn away, because what if you miss a tournament matchup? What if you miss a storyline that is maybe running throughout the entire tournament because you chose to turn the channel? And I respect where they're coming from here. And to be honest with you, I sort of miss this forced spontaneity in professional wrestling, because there's no competition. Previously on Raw, I'd just like to mention, so we're all sort of keyed in onto where some bigger storylines are, uh, last week was a taped Raw that saw some very famous cut-ins that we talked about in detail on Kingfish, so I'll just briefly mention them here. 
It was Stone Cold Steve Austin dressing up as a doctor. Up decker from here, nurse, assaulting Mr. McMahon, bedpan McMahon. Famous, famous stuff. But we also saw Mick Foley and Yerple the Clown visit Mr. McMahon in an attempt to cheer him up where we saw the birth of Mr. Suckle. Oh, Vince, it's Mr. Suckle. Say hello to Mr. Suckle. And Mick's voice cracks when he's like, Mr. Suckle. It's tremendous. Like, who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? But we're just one week away from the birth of Sako Mania. So there are only actually two other matches on this episode of Raw that are not tournament matches. The first one was an encounter between LOD 2000 and the New Age Outlaws for the WWF Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Now, the match doesn't last very long, and it ends when the headbangers interfere and smash a boombox on the face of the road dog. Kind of a famous angle because the road dog gets hardcore busted open. I think it's hard way. I don't know, and I don't really care. But I love this for two things. Number one, when they break the boombox over road dog's head, JR makes sure to mention like 17 times that it's not a JVC kaboom box because those things don't break, King. And the LOD 2000 configuration is animal and draws. But Hawk is on commentary for the entire match. And it's actually very disturbing because he's sober here. And he's like, I'm trying to get sober, JR. JR's like, well, Mike, I'm, 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 I'm here for him. I'm proud of you, Mike. I'm, I'm proud of you to come out here and talk about your Davids. And it's very awkward because I don't know if Hawk is out here playing a character or if he was like forced to go on television and promise everybody that he's sober. And it's not funny. Like... The sketch isn't funny, so I don't know. It's just sort of infamous in a bad way. Also, just for those keeping score, I have to mention the way the entire show opens before that match. (laughs) It's Vince McMahon driving into the uh, arena with his convertible, and he's yelling at the guy that won't open the garage door. He's like, it's raining. This guy won't open the garage. And he's in full dick-ass Mr. McMahon mode. He's got the broken ankle. And this entire sketch revolves around the Stooges getting Vince out of his car and into his motorized, mechanized wheelchair. And once they get him in, he just drives off in anger. And this he's in the wheelchair. There's nothing funny about being in a wheelchair, okay? Please. But what is funny is he's got the, like, WWF logo license plate. And the, the wheelchair's actually kind of fast. And he's... Just the image of Vince pressing the little button, making it go fast and trucking away, and Jared Briscoe yells out, Mr. McMahon, slow down! <laughs> it's just... I mean, it's all the right stuff about this type of Attitude Era nonsense. But, eventually, the episode of Raw takes us to the very first match in the 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Match number one... Kenny, Kenny Shamrock taking on the lethalist of all weapons, Steve Blackman. Now, as Blackman is making his entrance, we learn a couple of interesting tidbits. It appears that Vince McMahon has ordered Steve Blackman to compete in this matchup. And that might seem strange, because those are some marching orders a WWF superstar would like to receive a shot at Intercontinental Gold. However, Blackman is injured. He's still rehabbing from some recent knee surgery. But again, Vince is in a really bad mood. We get some footage from two months ago where Steve Blackman saved Kenny Kenny Shamrock from an assault by Owen Hart and Dan the Beast Severn, star of Halloween 3. Now, after Blackman rescued Kenny, 
Ken was indignant towards Blackman, and they beat the shit out of one another after the save. Back to live footage in the arena. Here comes former challenger of the unknown, Kenny Kenny Shamrock. And he's getting a smattering of boos. King, I don't think Shamrock likes to be booed. He mounts the steps, punches himself to wake up, and attacks before the bell rings. Uh, So the match is underway. Two athletes like this, I see this going one of two ways. A long, grueling, submission-based contest, or a short UFC-style brawl. Uh, Steve Blackman immediately goes to work with a drop toe hold and an elbow drop for a quick two count. Blackman now attempts a leapfrog, but he gets caught in a sloppy, brutal, and awesome looking, all three things at the same time, power slam from Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock looking like he don't give a fuck if Blackman lives or dies. And then... Shamrock goes to work with elbows to the surgically repaired knee of a Blackman. Or of a Steve Blackman, I should probably say. Good Lord. Uh, King thinks that Vince understands the personal hatred between these two athletes, and that's why he booked them together. JR's like, well, that might be, King. I don't really know, because here on commentary, we're flying by the seats of our britches as we're unaware of the parents in this tournament. Well, the competitors have been informed, but I, I don't know, King. I don't know a goddamn thing. I don't know anything, King. I hope no one ever isolates that soundbite of me saying, I don't know anything, King, and then maybe plays it back in my retirement ceremony or anything like that. The competitors, though, are aware of what's going on. Kenny Shamrock is tournament tested, as he's a former UFC Super Fight champion and the current reigning defending monarch of the squared circle. The knee stretching by Shamrock continues. Then a body slam is delivered, followed up with more leg stretching. JR lets us know that Shamrock is addicted to competition and wants to desperately obtain gold here in the wars of sports entertainment. Steve Blackman fights back with a clothesline from Pennsylvania, as I believe that's where he's from. A shoulder tackle delivered by Blackman. He then yells at himself to pump himself up. Blackman mounts Ken Shamrock to deliver some punches, but oh no! The arm by Blackman is caught in a Fujiwara style, and Shamrock moves from the arm bar into the ankle lock. Blackman immediately taps, and the match is over at 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Well, it is Attitude Era Raw after all, but it looks like Kenny Kenny Shamrock will be moving on to the semifinals after this tap-out victory. But oh my god in heaven! We see a replay, we cut back for the replay, and someone has entered the ring, and they are attacking both Kenny Kenny Shamrock and Steve Blackman. It looks like it's some sort of a superhero wearing a blue cape with an eagle on it. It is a Mastman, so I'm not quite sure who it is, but JR says it's Shades of the Blue Blazer. This unknown blue masked assailant attacks and then runs up the ramp yelling, Ken Shamrock is pissed, so he puts the ankle lock back on Steve. Tim White demands that the bell is rung. Kenny, for some reason, yells, Get out of my way! I know it's his catchphrase, but there's no one in his way. Finally, some officials come down. Ken breaks the hold because he wants to go on to the semis. JR talks about how Shamrock is clearly in his zone. So, just to wrap up and put a bow on this first match... Uh, fun to see these two guys, because they're pretty much the same gimmick-ish. Uh, it's a ridiculously short match. I don't know why if Blackman's... I don't know if Blackman's actually hurt. 
Like, there's plenty of guys on roster. Uh, I'll just assume it's some sort of an angle, and Blackman is ready to go, and they want to give him an excuse to lose like a bitch. I love seeing the Blue Blazer here. No, not make, I'm not making any fucking jokes, all right? I've talked about the Blue Blazer on others. I love the Blue Blazer. It cracks me the fuck up. Owen is so talented. Yes, 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 we all know. It's sad. But that doesn't mean we can't look upon the awesome things that he did as a Blazer and smile. All right, It doesn't have to take away the smiles that were gained in earnest by a blue Blazer. Uh, hilarious detail here after the match. One of the, one of the gimmicks that goes on throughout the evening is Vince is watching Raw on one monitor in his locker room. But he's got another monitor where he's got a camera on the entranceway. Now, after this match, we see The Undertaker arrive. He's in street clothes. No bags of gear. He's just fucking big evil red devil. He's basically the biker taker, even though he's still the dead man. But this is hubris because earlier we saw Kane arrive. Kane was wearing a full blue Sopranos tracksuit, okay? And he had a gym bag and, of course, was wearing his fucking mask. So is this to show, like, a contrast in characters between Kane and The Undertaker? Kane is, like, uptight stuffed shirt even though he was burned in a fire. And Undertaker's wore fly by the seat of his pants. You did it now! You gone and made a big mistake! Anywho, we're back with match number two in the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. I guess the winner will face a Kenny Kenny Shamrock. Before the match can start, though, we see Val Venus in the back making out with Terry Runnels. Apparently, she's very, very, very cold in this New York arena. Well, it is October. You know, things are getting, temperatures are lowering a little bit. We get a great video of hype for the return of Gold Dust, who will be returning very soon to the wars of sports entertainment. I love this video because it focuses on Goldust in 1996, and it reframes history to fit the current narrative. For example, while it is true that Goldust defeated Razor Ramon at the 1996 Royal Rumble to win the Intercontinental Championship in Fresno, they make sure to cut out the part where the 1-2-3 kid helps Goldust achieve victory. You know, even though he's back as X-Pac, they still want to just make it seem like Goldust beat Razor Ramon single-handedly because, you know, he's on the other channel. Then they show the Hollywood backlot brawl. You know, Goldust hitting Piper with a car, Goldust beating on Piper in the ring. They don't actually show that Piper was pretty much victorious and stripped down Goldust to his unmentionables. It's just Goldust beat up Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 12, King. Like, it's very funny how they just reframe everything. Totally pro-Goldust. I just want you to know I'm running on a campaign promise of being very pro-Goldust. Yeah, yeah, Goldust. I, I like him. He's bright. He's shiny. Reminds me of my grandkids. I like Goldust. It's a little more state of the union there for you. But we're back live. Val and Terry Ruddles enter the ringside area. She's still very cold. JR is indignant that the ring announcer knows the Intercontinental Championship competitors and JR and the King are still in the dark. Some frat boys here in New York have Hello Ladies painted on their chest, one letter at a time. And God help us, they all get on television, even though they're up in the cheap seats. Val Venus's, uh, of course, one to deliver a sexual innuendo-based promo before each match. Tonight is no different. Hello, ladies. You know something? The big Val Boski is a lot like a clock. You stick two hands 
and a face on it. <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly what time it is. Now, funny, yes. A little bit of a weaker one, though. I prefer my Val innuendos to be a little more in your face, if you will. His opponent, oh yeah, he's accompanied by the current WWF Women's Champion, Jacqueline, the baby with back. It's Triple M, Marvelous Mark Morrow, as Todd Pettengill would say. Great moment here as the Marvelous Ones walk down the Raw is War ramp. Mark Marrow makes sure to rub Jacqueline's Women's Championship that's wrapped around her waist like it's a pregnant belly, and he's so proud. He's, of course, a former Intercontinental Champion, so JR lets us know that his tournament seating is appropriate. We get a graphic that flies over the screen that says WWF Intercontinental Championship Tournament, which makes this an official thing. JR lets us know some great seats are still available tomorrow night in uh, Wisconsin. I don't know uh, what's happening in Wisconsin. So JR lets us know Motley Crue will be there. Wow. Sounds like a test to see if musical acts should mingle with the world of sports entertainment. He lets us know Titantron's going to be there too, folks. So basically, the whole the whole gag of me pointing out all this shit is, well, yeah, test. But also, it's hilarious that they're still taping Raw the day after a live Raw. And that's fine. I'm not throwing shade. Well, they should probably go live, but that's not here nor there. But I love that JR's like, uh, fans, tomorrow night we're taping Raw. Uh, I'm not supposed to say we're taping Raw because we're in the heat of the Monday Night Wars. But the Titantron's going to be there. It's going to be swell, I'll tell you what. I don't know. It's just whatever. Uh, that's not next week, though. I think it's the week after Judgment Day. It doesn't matter. But it's two, yeah, two weeks of Wisconsin, King. Titantron's going to be there. And Motley Crue would test. Anywho, uh, Val eyes up Jackie. The bell rings, and here we go with an exchange of arm bars. Mark Marrow hits a drop-toe hold. Valvetus is up and counters with a drop-toe hold. Wait a minute, that's exactly how the first match started, a drop-toe hold. Huh, I'll be damned. Mark Marrow is up. He gets Irish whipped by Valvetus. Marrow ducks two and catches Valvetus in a power slam. What the fuck? That is exactly what happened in the first match. Drop, toe, hold, Irish whip, power slam. Remember? Because I said the power slam was sloppy but cool. What the fuck? Anywho, power slam gets only two. Uh, both men are up. Valvetus hits a double underhook penis-assisted suplex. The king wants to know if a couple in the WWF has ever worn gold simultaneously. You know, if Alvinus was the Intercontinental title, or if Mark Merrill was the Intercontinental title, Jackie's the women's champion. Has that ever happened before, JR? JR, due to the absence of Wikipedia, is not ready to commit, and he's like, well, I'll get back to you on that one, King. Uh, also, no King Sable's here tonight. She was outstanding last night on Pacific Blue. I know! I taped it! For more about Sable and Pacific Blue, check out the Kingfish archives. Merrill hits a DDT, makes the cover. One, two, no. JR hypes that Goldust is expected to return to WWF at a moment's notice and then lets us know that Mark Marrow will indeed be taking on Val Venus at Judgment Day on Sunday. What? No, JR, they're fine. Wow. See, JR not having these tournament brackets is really fucking with him because he meant to hype that Goldust will be battling Val Venus at Judgment Day. See, Mark Marrow and Val Venus are fighting right now in front of you 
in the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Shitty back body drop by Mark Marrow. JR lets us know someone has arrived in the parking lot, and they're calling, causing quite a stir. We'll cut to it later, so it's probably not gold dust. Fireman's carry drop by Mark Marrow, and he pulls his trunks up to his nipples! Is he getting ready to go sky high for the wild thing? Well, I don't know, because Jackie is up now. Marrow's trunks are still up. Terry is up on the ring apron. Ironically, Val Venus is the only person in the ring that's not up. Oh, now he is, though. He stands up. Mark Marrow turns around and eats a little gut kick. Fisherman suplex. One, two, three. Well, that was another quick one at like two minutes and 20 seconds. Val Venus defeats Marvelous Mark Marrow via the Fisherman suplex. Afterwards, PMS explodes as Jacqueline tackles Terry Runnels at ringside for a fight. Uh, King, th- these women ain't exactly dressed for fighting. It's anarchy until the men can break it up. There are massive, massive sable chants. Terry Runnels is very frightened after this violent altercation. According to JR, uh, Terry Runnels is more of a show horse and not a workhorse. No, JR, she's not a horse. She's an actual human being. It's okay, though, because Terry Runnels is uh, brought back to reality with a big hug from Val Venus, and we know that she's okay because as soon as this hug is initiated, she immediately inhales one of Val Venus's nipples, and JR is like, get a room. We get a graphic for the tournament bracket, which means this is even more official in the annals of WWF history. We see Shamrock and Blackman in the first match. We see Venus and Marrow in the second match. And we now see that the semifinals will be Shamrock versus Venus. The entire bottom half of the bracket is blacked out. No names are revealed. JR gets even more pissed off that we have a graphic, but we don't know who's in the tournament. And guess who arrived during that match? It was Paul Bear with a briefcase for anyone who was interested. It doesn't really matter, though. We head to a commercial, and we're back with Michael Cole about to interview Sable. She says nothing. She grabs Jacqueline, who's coming back from the ring, and they fight in the arena for the entire segment. Sable is massively over. Just so over, and that takes us to another commercial. Now, I promised I wouldn't cover the actual show, but it's, you know, it happens right after and we go to a commercial. But this Sable Jacqueline segment's fucking hot, man. I mean, I don't necessarily think you could build an entire show around Sable, but uh, I could see why some crazy bastards might have thought as such. But we're back now, and it's time for match number three in the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. It's the third quarterfinals matchup. Here comes Mankind Mick Foley, wearing a shirt and a tie, but still with the creepy Mankind music. He's a hometown boy. We're in his hometown of uh, New York-ish. Of course, at Judgment Day, the challengers of the unknown will explode when Kenny Shamrock takes on Mankind. But earlier today, Michael Cole caught up with the hometown hero, Mankind, to talk about Kenny Shamrock. Mankind, at Judgment Day, you have to take on Ken Shamrock, and you've got to be angry after Ken Shamrock leveled you recently with a steel chair. Oh, well, not really. You see, Ken Shamrock doesn't really swing a chair hard enough to hurt me. As a matter of fact, in all the years and all the times I've been hit by chairs, the one by Shamrock was the weakest, wimpiest, and wishy-washiest of them all. So I'm not all that concerned about Ken Shamrock at Judgment Day. And if he doesn't like it, well, I've got one word for him. 
Sokko! And it appears that, yes, Mr. Sokko is still alive and is living on the hand of Mick Foley. Sokko spikes the camera and says, Have a nice day! <laughs> oh, Sokko! Only in week two of Sokko Mania, and he's so fucking over. That little sock truly pushed the Mankind character over the edge of stardom to super stardom. And it's brilliant! It really is. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And I love that it's something so fucking simple and off the wall that did it. That is the shit that I love about pro wrestling. You just give the right guy the right little stupid thing, like a bulletproof vest or a talking sock puppet, and they're over like a rover. Up next, Mankind's opponent. We are the nation! A domination! Boom, boom. Oh, wait, we're actually way past that song. It's more like... Uh, but this gentleman is representing the nation of domination and also the great city of Silsby, Texas, the world's strongest weightlifter, Mr. Mark Henry. Mark, of course, is currently involved in a blood feud with The Rock for control of the nation, and he's in a blood feud with China. He's currently suing China for sexual harassment. However, earlier tonight, WWF cameras caught up with Mark Henry as he performed a poem for China. China, to see you smile is like watching the sunrise. The more that it happens, the brighter the skies. I only wish and only dream that somehow you feel the same. I await the time, travel the distance, take my chance to be persistent. My only wish is that we have the best. I'd give all of that if I could have one chance. And then Mark strokes his goatee and strikes a shit-eating grin into the camera. Oh, Mark, you're such a poet, and you so know it. Back to reality, the bell rings, and match three is underway. Will we see the patented 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament drop-toe-hold power slam combination? Only time will tell. The matchup starts fast and furious with a lockup with a transition to do a drop-toe-hold. Okay, I'm just kidding. Mark backs fully into the corner to a huge pop. Oh, wait a minute. The huge pop is actually China coming down to ringside. Mick reverses in the corner and strikes with fists of fire and fury, but Mark tosses him like a sock. Mick's back up again for more punishment, gets tossed yet again. Huge clothesline from Silsby, Texas, delivered from the captain of Team USA, circa 1996. McFoley is whipped into the ropes. A lift and drop by Mark Henry. Shades of the bend and snap from Legally Blonde. But, uh, you know, in all reality, it's a military press where he drops Mick right away. I know there's lots of gags about Mark Henry being a power lifter that's not a power lifter, but Mick ain't exactly a spring chicken, so I don't blame Henry for just quickly dropping him. Big splash delivered by Henry onto the ankle of mankind. Mark then hits leg kicks and an elbow to the ankle yet again. He appears to be softening up the deranged freak for Ken Shamrock at Judgment Day, because of course, Mick Foley will be fighting Shamrock, the master of the ankle lock at Judgment Day. But this course of offense also helps Mark Henry in this Intercontinental Championship Tournament encounter, and so he continues to work the ankle. Big body slam by Mark Henry as Mark measures Mick. Lots of M's there. Mick. Mark. Measures. 
Henry's up to the second rope to splash down onto Mick Foley's ankle. But Mankind rolls to safety and a Sako chant reigns through Uniondale. Mankind is up. His ankle appears absolutely fine. Mick Irish whips Mark into the ropes. Mark reverses this and Irish whips Mick. Mick collapses. Oh, his ankle is hurt. My bad, okay? My bad. I write the notes in order, so yeah, you get it as I get it. Uh, his ankle is apparently hurt, but Mick ducks a clothesline and hits a double-arm DDT. Henry is down. Mick's ankle must be hurting because he starts untying his uh, white Reebok dad shoes. No! He's not alleviating pressure from his hurt ankle. He's going for a secret weapon. It's Socko! Straight from the man's own foot. Well, it is only week two of Socko Mania, so we're still working on the kinks of the presentation and how it's all going to work and everything, but I kind of love seeing the early stages where he's not just got it in his drawers. He actually has to take off his shoe to apply the Socko Claw. Henry is up, Mick is up, and the Socko Claw is stuffed into the gullet of a Mark Henry. Mark is down. Referee Tim White calls for the bell. It's over. The soothing mankind piano music plays throughout the arena. And we get the super famous shot of Mick down on all fours, talking into the camera with Mr. Socko, like moving his mouth and talking. I don't know if it's world famous, but it's in his Titantron. It's in lots of WWF like history recap videos. It's like your go-to Mick with Mr. Socko shot. So history being made in the 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament. You love to fucking see it. I always love catching little shit like that. Mick Foley leaves the ring and limps into the second round. But uh-oh! In the back, Stone Cold Steve Austin has arrived with a cement truck. What is going to happen? Again, we're not here to talk about Raw, but, I mean, how could you not mention that little tidbit of information? Because we all know where this is going. No time to pontificate on this, though, because we have one more match to go in the quarterfinals, and here comes the cho-cho-cho-chosen one. Jeff, ha-ha, Jarrett. Jeff has no Deborah here. He has no guitar, and he's coming down the aisle with his new haircut. Uh, we get a nice shot of a crowd, uh, some fans in the crowd who have a four-part sign. You know, one of those signs where each sign says a different word. And it actually says, don't piss me off. But instead of piss, it's got P dash dash dash. Don't pee me off. The copyright hits as Jeff Jarrett hits the turnbuckles to pose, which means we are now live in the war zone. My God, it's the war zone. And now that it's the top of the hour and folks might be changing channels, JR thanks the guys in the truck for smartening him up to this last match in the Intercontinental Championship Tournament because you want to tell people what's about to happen. And he's like, fans, I'm being told thanks to the guys in the truck that here in the finals, uh, the quarterfinals, the last quarterfinal match, something like that, it's Jeff Jarrett taking on X-Pac. And luckily we've got some footage queued up to let us know that there is a rivalry here in place because we flash back, and, and now I'm just doing the JR voice for the regular presentation, but fuck it, I'm staying with it. We flash back to SummerSlam and see X-Pac cutting the hair of Jeff Jarrett. And then we flash to breakdown in your house when we see Jeff Jarrett smack X-Pac in the face with a guitar. Sure shit, as promised by JR, here comes X-Pac! The winner in this contest, of course, will meet Mankind 
in round two. JR wonders if Triple H might be angry that another member of DX is in this tournament and might be able to claim Intercontinental Championship glory all for themselves. Also, just a, a message of note, at Judgment Day, X-Pac will be facing D'Lo Brown for the European Championship. So if X-Pac wins, will we get our own tiny version of the Ultimate Challenge? I don't know if X-Pac can make it, though, because Jeff Jarrett strikes before the bell. And here we go with our last quarterfinal matchup. Jeff Jarrett springs into action with a drop-toe hold, followed by an Irish whip and a power slam! Oh, no, wait, that's, that's the wrong match. Here we go. Here's what actually happens. Stomps by Jeff Jarrett. Backs X-Pac into the corner for punches. That's exactly how the Mankind Mark Henry match started, but that's fine. X-Pac fights back with chops and springs forward with a clothesline from nowhere. Why is this, you say? Because the clothesline absolutely misses, but yet Jeff Jarrett decides to still take a big old back bump. The business is exposed here at the top of the hour in the war zone. Big back body drop by Jeff Jarrett. X-Pac fights back with a spinning kick. Shades of the 1-2-3 kid. He then hits an actual clothesline. So, way to go, Pockster. We're up top now. X-Pac going for some sort of a leaping maneuver, but Jeff Jarrett meets him, and we have a fist fight high above the ring in the air. Jeff Jarrett tumbles backwards like he's fucking Ernest P. Whirl. A flip attack by the 1-2-3 kid Pac, but Jeff Jarrett rolls away for freedom. What are Stone Cold Steve Austin doing in the back, King? You know, they, they just love to talk about it during this whole match, so I wanted to bring it up to show you how much it interrupts the actual flow. Figure four attempted by Jarrett, but no, kind of with a small package. One, two, no. Both men are vertical, but a clothesline by Jeff Jarrett sends X-Pac down. Jeff Jarrett picks up X-Pac, whips him into the ropes with an Irish whip. X-Pac ducks two. Power slam by Jeff Jarrett. For real this time. What the fuck is going on with the Intercontinental Championship Tournament? Everybody's got whip him into the corner for punches, duck two for a power slam, drop toe holds. It's like every match is the fucking same. X-Pac backs up Jeff Jarrett into the corner, hits his patented X-Pac leaping strikes, but the last jumping kick bumps the referee, and his eyes are dazed for a moment. Why is this, you might ask? Because X-Pac goes for the Bronco Buster, but Jarrett counters with a foot to the cock. So the referee didn't see the foot-cock encounter. Jeff Jarrett digs under the ring. He finds a guitar case like he's El Mariachi. Are there guns inside or an acoustic equalizer? Only one way to find out. Jeff Jarrett opens the guitar case. No guns. No acoustic equalizer. Just head. Al Snow's friend, head. Jeff Jarrett sees this and is confused. X-Pac achieves victory with a schoolboy. One, two, three. X-Pac advances to the semifinals. Al Snow runs in to get head. And the quarterfinals are now complete and all set for the semis. We're going to see Kitty Kitty Shamrock take it on Val Venus. Rhymes with anus. And we're going to see Mankind, the lovable goofball, taking on X-Pac, the thug from DX. Now, for all you stats fans out there, it is true. This quarterfinals was very short. Uh, the total belt... The <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm really sorry, guys. The total bell-to-bell time of the first round. 
11 minutes and 12 seconds. Now, I did a little bit of internet research. The total quarterfinals bell-to-bell time in 1990 was 18 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, those were all in Superstars and Wrestling Challenge, but they were matches between named individuals, not jobber matches. And this is the Monday Night War era, the ADD era, so it's kind of comparable, all things being equal, so I'm not exactly ready to throw shade at it. I was going to until I ran the numbers. Of course, in the 1990 tournament, there are no semifinals. There's just a finals match. The total bell-to-bell tournament time in 1990 is 26 minutes and 1 second. That's for the entire tournament. So far, with only the quarterfinals complete, we're at 11-12 in 1998. We'll keep the stats coming as we progress. At the end, we'll do a final comparison, just for the fuck of it. Now, immediately after this match, we cut to the back, and Stone Cold Steve Austin dumps the cement into Vince McMahon's Corvette. I mean, it's absolutely classic. I mean, what can I say about this that hasn't already been said? It's so nice that after the commercial... There's a commercial after the whole thing happens. We see the 10-10-3-2-1 rewind, and it's just the cement pouring into the car. 10-10-3-2-1 was definitely my go-to in the wars of Collect Calling. It beats the fuck out of 10-10-2-20 and 1-800-COLLECT. I'll hear nothing to the contrary. On the actual show, Austin and McMahon dominate the broadcast for a bit. Austin cuts a probo. Vince comes out on the stage flanked by some police with dogs. The cops have on t-shirts that are like made with tape that say K-9 police. It's really funny. But Vince also has a strange masked security enforcer next to him. Is it the big boss man? Well, yeah, but have they not identified him as the big boss man yet? I don't know. I just kind of fast forwarded through the segment. I'm sorry. Sue me. Actually, don't, because I'll probably lose. But in our world, here on the debut of Ringman, it's time to move on to the semifinals, which luckily takes place right after this Austin McMahon promo, and we can dive back into the conquest and search for intercontinental gold. Our first semifinals combatant makes their way down to the ringside area. It's Val Venus! And his penis. And of course, Terry Runnels at his side. Halfway down the aisle, Kenny Shamrock attacks Valvinus from behind. Now, this is quite comical because, you know, that Raw is War ramp that everybody has to walk down is oh so very steep. And Kenny has to run, like, with baby steps. Shades of what about Bob? He's like, baby steps running out the curtain. Baby steps going down the ramp. Baby steps attacking Valvinus from behind. Baby steps clothesline. Shamrock strikes Valvinus, and the king is like, Oh man, this is crazy! What else is going to happen here tonight on Raw? Now, I'm all for selling the show based on the chaos and anarchy that could possibly take place. But does this random attack from behind really necessitate the king's proclamation? Shamrock is a rabid dog here! As uh, he just sort of beats this shit out of Valvinus outside the ring. He then whips Val into the solid steel steps... He briefly enters the ring to break the referee's count. I'm not even sure the bell's rung. And ha <laughs> ha! Sure as shit, as I write my note about the bell ringing, the real bell actually does ring. So why? What, what count are you breaking there, Ken? Well, maybe this is just good character shit that Ken Shamrock has completely lost it. But I'm going to assume it's just a fuck up, moron. But the semifinals are officially underway. Inside the ring now, Val Venus is whipped into the turnbuckle. 
Kenny hits the clothesline from San Francisco. And then a body slam. Missed opportunity for a power slam, but hey, I'm not the agent here. Ken locks in a camel clutch-esque maneuver that looks like shit and continues to work the back of Val Venus by digging his knee into it. Val fights back, though. He runs forward and punches Ken. Ken is still standing, so he takes a bounce off the ropes and runs toward Val Venus. Val puts his foot forward to hit what would usually be a big boot, but Kenny Shamrock is just a little too short, and the foot pretty much misses Val, or misses Ken by a country mile, but Ken sells it anyway. Snap suplex float over pin now by Ken Shamrock gets two. It's kind of a junior jackhammer type maneuver. You know, that kind of sounds like a burger that Jim Cornette would order for his wife from Wendy's. Hey, I need a 25-piece chicken nugget, but more importantly, the missus wants a junior jackhammer. Are there any pro wrestlers in training back there working in the kitchen that want to fuck my wife? Allegedly. It's just allegedly. Ken locks in a Boston Crab, still working that back in the dead center of the ring. Val crawls towards the ropes. He continues to crawl towards the ropes. Kenny pulls him back center. Val crawls some more. The crowd and myself couldn't care less. It's an awful Boston Crab, by the way. It looks like shit. Finally, Val gets to the ropes, but it appears the damage is done. As Kenny Shamrock jumps on the back of Alvitas multiple times, striking his ass to the man's lower back. Val somehow fights back with knees and a side Russian leg sweep. Valvitas now appears to be at full strength because he's standing over a wounded Ken Shamrock and he does his little shimmy. It makes the women here in Uniondale puke. Outside of the ring, Terry Reynolds does the shimmy as well. It makes the men here in Uniondale throw dollar dollar bills, y'all. Valvitas in control drops the elbow but gets only two. Irish whip. Ken ducks two and hits a very, very, very shitty chop block. Ankle lock. Val taps immediately. So, I mean, yeah. Ken Shamrock is going to the finals. He makes Val tap out in like a, a little bit over four minutes. We get a full tournament graphic with all the names filled in. No more bitching and complaining from JR as he's fully aware of who's on the tournament roster. There is one match still to go to determine our finals, though. Afterwards, Val Venus is still down in the ring. And hey, why not? Since we talked about him earlier, here comes the return of what JR calls the bizarre and controversial gold dust. King calls him an opportunist because he's returning here in the moment where Val Venus is at his weakest. No more Jeebus Christ for Dustin Ruddles. Gold dust is fully back in town. He comes down to the ring with all his accoutrement. He crawls around for a little bit and then beats on Val and debuts the Shattered Dreams testicle kick. More history being made here with the 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament. We head to a commercial. We come back. Vince McMahon and the Stooges are by the destroyed car covered in cement and they're weeping. Uh, My briefcase was in there, damn it. Cheryl Briscoe, fearing for the loss of the briefcase, is like, well, we could get a shovel, Mr. Mike Mild. Luckily, though, we're allowed to talk about the segment because one of our Intercontinental title competitors is here. Mankind arrives to survey the scene. Sako, still attached to his hand, 
Offense, you should be able to salvage some of this. I've seen worse than this. Hey, wait a minute, I've got an idea. This sock just came from Mark Henry's mouth, so so I can use it. Sure shit, Mick leaps forward and starts digging through the cement with Mr. Socko. Is, is Mick Foley the real concrete man here? Because the power of Mr. Socko is penetrating the cement and cold hard concrete looking for the briefcase. Briscoe yells, Mankind, get the briefcase out of there! Mick digs further. He's like, I got something! He pulls out, Nothing! Uh, I'm gonna give it another try. Mick, that's enough! Don't give it another try! Damn it! <laughs> Mick yells, I got it! But we fade to a commercial. <laughs> so much fun with Mick Foley and Mr. Sacco and Mr. McMahon. But back in the real world of pro wrestling, it's time for semifinal match number two. Will we see a Mr. Sacco that's covered in hardened concrete? Well, it's time to find out because Mick Foley is out first. Sure enough, he is comically wiping cement off of himself, and his shirt's all stained and fucked up. Socko is once again hidden under his boots. X-Pac is out next. He's got a little limp for some reason. I don't remember his leg being injured by Jarrett, but whatever. Both gladiators appear to be ready. JR's not ready, though. He wants to let us know that 10-10-3-2-1 presents Judgment Day, and I'm glad that they did. The bell rings, and here we go for our final... Semi-final. It's a lockup. <laughs> it's a lockup. And, and they transition to X-Pac having Mick Foley in a headlock. And X-Pac does that annoying shit when he has someone in a headlock where he jumps and yells like... <laughs> Foley escapes with a side suplex. Tosses X-Pac in the corner to hit his mankind punches. Watch that! Watch that! Watch that! Irish whip by mankind. X-Pac ducks. A clothesline. At this moment, both men kind of just run into each other and bump shoulders. So, I know they're both baby faces and they both Irish whipped one another. But somebody's got to take control and call the match. Sure enough, Foley takes control and he starts whispering into X-Pac's ear. So, the rest of this match will be directed by Mick Foley. Hey, how come I'm not directing this match? Kevin? Film connoisseur Kevin Nash, doing the figure quotes thing here so we don't get sued. You have your own show here on the new TNN called Toad Man, where you review Dawson's Creek with Johnny C. You need to get your ass out of here go back to your own show. I'm just saying, I've got some experience directing. I directed uh, Starcade 98, starring myself and Bill Goldberg. You remember that match, Johnny? Yes, I do remember it, and that match puts a smile on my face, Kevin, but now is not the time. Wait for Toad Man. All right, I'll see you on Toad Man, only here on the new TNN. Well, all right, Kevin, at least you've gotten the ad copy correct. Uh, back in the match, uh, where are we here? Oh, yeah, Mix directing things. Big spinning X-Pac kick sends Mick Foley falling into the ropes. Mick tosses X-Pac out, though. And we've got some brawling on the outside. X-Pac is tossed into the steps. Foley goes to get a chair. JR's indignant like, Oh, Mick, don't do that! Don't you dare do that! Inside the ring now, and referee Mike Kyoto begs Mick Foley not to use that chair. He goes so far as to swat it away and toss it outside. Headbutt by Mick Foley, but X-Pac is fighting back with his jumping, spinning X-Pac kicks. Mick falls into the corner, which can mean only one thing. It's time to buck 
damn Broncos! Sure enough, X-Pac does the Bronco Buster, but Mick is up right away and tackles X-Pac with mounted punches and tosses the man by his own long, stringy, greasy hair. Another missed attempt for a power slam there, but hey, I'm not an agent. I don't book the matches. X-Pac falls back outside the ring, and oh no, here comes Kenny Kenny Shamrock. Mankind goes outside, hits a neckbreaker, and warns Kenny to keep his distance. Ken Shamrock, sure enough, just watches. Mankind rolls X-Pac into the ring, but Ken grabs the chair from earlier. The referee's not paying attention, and Ken smashes the ankle of Mankind with the solid steel chair. Mick is in the ring, but he can't stand. He's like, oh, I have to hop on one foot. X-Pac sees his opponent is in a weakened state and rolls him up with a schoolboy. Shades of his earlier match with Jeff Jarrett, but what do I know? I'm not an agent. And the schoolboy from the distraction allows X-Pac to get another victory with the one, two, three. And we've got X-Pac taking on Ken Shamrock in the finals. However, after this match, Ken Shamrock viciously attacks X-Pac and hits a huge belly-to-belly suplex. Like, X-Pac's a fucking wet rag. Like, he's just tossing around like it's nobody's business. Mick tries to help, but he can't. Shamrock locks in a head-scissors neck vice that actually looks very violent and brutal. Referees are trying to make the save. Will somebody help this kid out? JR pleads with everyone in the locker room. My God, now it appears that every WWF official is out here. There are two Dave Hebners in the ring. Whoa, how much did they spend on the plastic surgery, dude? They got two Dave Hebners in there trying to help out X-Pac, brother. Now the Stooges come down, and Mick's like, I gotta get in there and help my little buddy X-Pac. Uh, but the Stooges are like, uh, well, Mick, Mr. McMahon says that he needs you in the back right of way. Mick, of course, follows this order, and it's kind of pretty much too late because the damage is done. Whenever the next match takes place, it doesn't matter. Ken Shamrock has to be the heavy favorite. We get a big Shamrock Sucks chant as we head to a commercial. But we're back live, and there's still chaos in the ring. Shamrock is still beating on X-Pac, and all the officials are still there. Triple H is here now at ringside on some crutches, yelling. Finally. They get control of Ken Shamrock, and referee Mike Kyoto stands over X-Pac. He's like, X-Pac, do you want to go? Do you want to go? X-Pac, in his tough guy voice, goes, Yeah! Ring the damn bell! And oh my god, it looks like right here, right now, it's time for the finals of the prestigious 1998 Intercontinental Title Tournament. Let him go, says Triple H. Sure as shit, the bell rings. X-Pac is laid on the mat like a slug. It's his only defense. Ken Shamrock is ready, willing, and Sable. It's time! Right now! Let's hook him up! As Cowboy Bill Watts would say. Uh, Ken Shamrock stomps on X-Pac as Jim Ross invites Triple H over to do some commentary. Shamrock hits a big DDT to X-Pac. JR lets us know that Triple H will be present at Sunday Night Heat in Chicago to present the Intercontinental title to the winner of this tournament. And holy shit, what brand synergy. What a teaser for what will be the series finale of Kingfish. More to come. Triple H does join on commentary. And he sounds so young, by the way. Just wanted to point that out. 
X-Pac tries to fire back with chops, shades of the nature boy, but a stiff short clothesline sends Pac down. Uh, Pac is eventually back up, and Shamrock does that cool arm ringer super kick thing where you, like, ring the arm and hit a super kick. He then dumps X-Pac on the top rope with snake eyes. Hey, that's my move. Kevin! Back to your cage. At this moment in the contest, Ken Shamrock leaps over the top ropes onto the apron like a madman. He looks absolutely insane, and I had to pause the video because I was laughing so hard because it's just not something I expected to see. He's just like, and leaps over and just lands on the apron. He doesn't even do anything. He's just madman. Oh, well. He pulls X-Pac over to the ropes and starts punching on him. And then he debuts a move I've never seen before. The apron-assisted Dragon Sleeper. It's pretty cool. Triple H throws shade at Vince McMahon on commentary for stripping him of the Intercontinental title and not telling him. He's all like, I'm down in Birmingham, Alabama doing rehab. And guess what? My phone rings, Vince. Trust me, my phone rings. Well, if Vince McMahon would have known, he could have dialed 10-10-3-2-1-1 and then the number. He would have called you and saved up to perhaps 50% on the call and let you know you were stripped of the title of an intercontinental basis. But Triple H is still fumed. He's like, I found out I was stripped of the title by watching Sunday Night Heat, Jim Ross. Back inside, X-Pac from nowhere hits some sort of miraculous spin kick. Come on, kid! You've been you've been putting in so much work and time here in the WWF. It's time to get it on and get yourself some gold. A jumping leg lariat hits Ken Shamrock. JR yells, big home run by the kid! Pac stomps Kenny down into the corner. Time to buck the Broncos! And he does. Shamrock stands up, dazed and confused. X-Pac goes to finish with a big Caval spinning kick, but no! Shamrock catches it, cinches in the ankle lock. Pac quickly gets to the ropes. Ken with a clean break. He approaches X-Pac, stomps on his skull, yanks X-Pac's center ring, and once again locks in the deadly ankle lock. Triple H yells at the top of his lungs, He won't tap! There's no way! He won't tap! In the center ring, X-Pac! Taps. <laughs> and oh my god, it's over! In 3 minutes and 56 seconds, Ken Shamrock has won the prestigious 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Triple H is pissed. Shamrock goes over to the side of the ring where the announce booth is, and he's like, Where's my belt? Well, I'll tell you what, Triple H. Ken Shamrock came to Monday Night Raw as if he were a calculated assassin. It's true. It's all over but the crying. No longer is this man challenging the unknown. He's captured gold here in the WWF. So, I promised, now this bad boy's done, uh, some statistics. The entire tournament here in 1998, four quarterfinals matches, two semifinals, and a final. 22 minutes and 20 seconds of total tournament bell-to-bell action. In 1990, with no semifinals matches, we ended up at 26 minutes and one second for the entire tournament. So, I mean... It's comparable Attitude Era and stuff like that, but the big kick in the dick for the 98 tournament is that there were semifinals matches. And, yeah, I I, I don't 
I didn't say I was going to do this, but I'm doing it off the cuff, so fuck it. The, the 90 tournament was a lot more fun to watch. Probably some nostalgia kicking in there. Look, it's not like the matches were better. Tito and Perfect, the final, is a fun match. And it's available in the archives. Just search Brightman 1990 tournament. But, you know, I, I did have more fun with that one. This was a fun little slice, too. We got to see some iconic moments. Uh, not We didn't really talk about most of them. Uh, for example, the main event of this show, match right after this one, is uh, Austin and The Rock teaming up for what I think is the first time, taking on the Brothers of Destruction. That's a huge thing, but it's not part of the 1998 Intercontinental Championship Tournament, so we're not going to talk about it. But overall, this idea, this concept is a pretty good hook for a one-night with commercials TV show that's you know going up against another wrestling show on another network, and you're trying to hook your audience, so... Not bad. Not bad at all. And the best part of this entire thing is that coming soon to the new TNN is what I briefly teased moments ago, the series finale of Kingfish, which will feature not only the final performance of Shane McMahon's first run on commentary, but we will see, I guess, it's been advertised, I haven't watched the episode of Heat yet, so I'm not certain, will we see Triple H hand over the Intercontinental Championship, the tiny belt, to Kenny, Kenny Shamrock. Well, I don't know. And I suppose the only way that you can hear all about it is to subscribe to the new TNN podcast feed as we move into 2023 with our new slate of shows, Ringman, Junkman, Concrete Man, and of course, as briefly teased by film connoisseur Kevin Nash, I'm doing the bigger quotes thing here, so don't get sued, it's Toad Man. But... Let us know what you're thinking about the new lineup. Let us know what you think about the 1998 IC title tournament. Write us a review, subscribe, and make sure you get notified when new content drops. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you, and an IC champion is Kenny Shamrock. We'll see you next time.